Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Now anybody who has gone out on a date, <laughs> married, unmarried, significant other, otherwise, friend, even foe, I guess you go on dates with foes, uh, at least lunch, got the lunch has learned the hard way. It's not easy translating I to we when it comes to personal preferences. Uh, Perspectives even. I's are about what we want. We's are about not only what we want, but what other people want. And it can go back and forth for a while. What do you feel like? I feel like, no, let's not do that. But tell me, what do you want really to do? Well, I just told you what I really want to do. I'd like to go eat here. Well, I don't know that I want to eat there. Well, then where do you want to eat? Well, I don't know. And that's the scenario. And even as much we're just talking about food and dates, and that doesn't seem all that critical or significant, it happens even in more critical or significant context to the people that I see, persons that I see, for relationship counseling, marital counseling. Those individuals come in with different perspectives. Maybe this is the typical pattern too or something akin to this that they uh, usually go back and forth on trying to resolve issues or the majority of their issues seem to be filtered through some sort of a communique like this, model communication sort of like this. Or just maybe they're so easy in determining, or so easy for them to determine what they want, that when they disagree on what they want, neither of them are willing to show any sort of flexibility or ability to bend. And with that then, I have to help them to figure out, mutually so, how to take the I and make it a we. Psychology Today, November, December 2022, the article, The Power of Pronouns by Valerie Fridland. Some everyday unconscious word choices can reveal a great deal about the state of our lives. What if some of the most common words people use every day without much conscious thought could actually clue us in to their degree of marital satisfaction or potential for leadership, or even more important, be used to track their level of depression or suicide risk. Turns out, an impressive array of research suggests we could, in fact, derive all of that from the patterns of people's pronouns. From me to we. When we're in romantic relationship, the partnering power of we reflects more than just our non-single status. It is also a good indicator of marital health. Studies have shown that partners who use more first-person plural pronouns, like we or us, report greater marital satisfaction than those who use the singular I or you more often. This is not surprising if we think of we as reflecting a view of ourselves as part of a team. This collective perspective also appears to help couples in times of difficulty or conflict. Other research has found that using plural pronouns also indicates higher quality interactions and more positive problem solving. But when a relationship ends, 
Shifting back to a more self-focused I or me may show that one or both partners have adopted or adapted to the breakup. While most people probably associate Rudy Giuliani with politics and not pronouns, researchers James Pennebaker and Thomas Lay of the University of Texas found that he started using more I pronouns at press conferences after going through a painful and public divorce, suggesting his processing of a newly single identity. In a different study, people who were still using we to talk about themselves and their ex after a breakup were found to be less adjusted to their split than those who used the more othering he or she. The ultimate power word. Psychologists and linguists have found that pronoun patterns also reveal a lot about power and status and other facets of our lives. In a study asking people to solve a task in which one member of a group was arbitrarily assigned as a leader, researchers found that this leader used more other-focused pronouns, like you or she, while lower-status participants used more self-focused pronouns, like I. Considered with other research examining the pronoun patterns of those in more powerful positions, a pattern emerges. Leaders use fewer first-person singular words and more plural words. We are and they, while subordinates lean on I. This at first may be surprising as I might seem like the ultimate power word, as in I expect or I need. But as anyone trying to effectively parent or supervise has learned, telling someone what they need to do by couching it in terms of what you want rarely works. Instead, those in higher status positions may need to focus more on the actions of others, while those lower in rank focus on their own role. The idea that leaders should use more other-focused pronouns might be why when those in powerful positions do use a lot of I pronouns, they are sometimes accused of narcissism. But studies have failed to turn up a consistent association between high levels of I talk and narcissism. Self-focus, as it happens, is not the same as self-importance. We all appear to shift toward I pronouns when self-focus makes sense. And when we are talking about our own work product or activities or when facing life stressors, an example, after a breakup or other traumatic event, it is only when self-focus becomes extreme or overly intense that the amount of I talk may point to a more serious mental health issue. When I should worry. A multitude of studies in both clinical and non-clinical settings have revealed that depressed individuals routinely use more I pronouns than others. In letters written by college students who were clinically depressed, there were more I pronouns than in letters by other students. And poets who later committed suicide were found to use higher rates of I pronouns than those who did not. If high use of singular pronouns can be proven to serve as a signal of severe emotional distress, then changes in an individual's rates and types of pronoun use over time might be valuable for the clinician who monitors or clinicians who monitor and assess them. 
It also opens up the possibility that providing patients with opportunities to switch perspectives between self and other focused pronouns might provide some positive benefit. Though research is limited on the question of whether consciously changing one's pronoun usage might improve itself improve mental state, in at least one study, shifting focus away from oneself in a diary writing exercise, narrating the same event by first using the first person, I, me, then shifting to the second, you, and finally to the third, she or they provide therapeutic benefit. People's pronoun choice offers a unique opportunity to determine how they see themselves within the stories they tell and provides a surprising window into their psychological, emotional, and social states. These few simple everyday words turn out to be exceptionally revealing. Again, Valerie Fridland, Ph.D., who is a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada, Reno, and author of Like Literally Dude, Arguing for the Good in Bad English, The Power of Pronouns, Some Everyday Unconscious Word Choices Can Reveal a Great Deal About the State of Our Lives. So as I said earlier, a good bit of my work is not necessarily negotiating uh, what we're going to eat at lunch, either with coworkers or at dinner with my wife. But it has some of the same qualities, and I have experienced both sides of that. I have been in those situations where there was much too much ambivalence and uncertainty, and nobody owned it, as with I statements. And then in that, there could be no true negotiating For even if the other person owned it, equally so, there'd be conflict and negotiation would be hard. But in those situations, nobody owned it or maybe just one person owned it. It's very difficult to get consensus. Now, consensus isn't always the answer to all of life's problems, especially if you only agree to disagree. But certainly agreeing to disagree oftentimes is meritorious in that you don't end up harming one another or destroying, harming the relationship, destroying the relationship in the process. But whether it be that both individuals are strong, so strong in their I statements or the affirmations, affirmations, uh, self-affirmations of what is right and what they would like, uh, or maybe one predominates over the other, or as with the third example, just way too much ambivalence, I step in. (laughs) I own it. I step in, and uh, generally they come see me, and then assist, and they're changing I's to we's. And (laughs) undoing the gridlock that that seems to represent. Uh, And then potentially not only the lack of really resolution of a particular any set of problems, choices, decisions that have to be made. But if you do that over an extended period of time, that can become frustrating because nobody really seems to either get it done or if they get it done, they don't get it done to mutual gratification uh, or respect possibly. And uh, then once again, the relationship seems harmed. I think self-esteem gets harmed too. Especially as you might be speaking of very, very important relationships, 
significant other relationships where there's more emotional weight on the relationship. There's more expectation of validation, mutual affirmation. This is your person you're wanting to spend an extended period of time with, if not indefinitely. And the individual that you seem to believe could provide you what you need, what is necessary to enjoy most of what you've always aspired to in life. You can't make them only what you want them to be, but if you do a pretty good job of appraisal and assessment on the front end and see it for what it really is, they are what it, the relationship would be, you can get that. You can have that. But even then, there's two ways to get to the same end. And that sort of consensus in not only ideal terms, but in practical operational terms, is easily jeopardized or compromised. So as much that would be my chore, (laughs) and I do want this to be collaborative, I have to start out typically by establishing a paradigm. And the paradigm is neither are wrong. Everything starts out with an I. It's a subjective. It's who you are. Uh, Even as you would then have eventually got to a place, hopefully in life, where you figured out who you were, it didn't make everything more difficult. (laughs) Just in the sense that it doesn't have to be necessarily harder and certainly doesn't have to be fatalistic. You don't have to lose all of yourself for the cause of another so that you can make an I a we or you can negotiate lesser and greater sort of life decisions. But what it does mean though is you have to have a strong sense of who you are and that's the I part and probably for the sake of negotiation, calibration. I'm not even call it compromise. Compromise sounds like you are losing. And some people take that approach, even in the position I'm in, of trying to give guidance to those who need guidance in relationships and particularly marital sort of circumstances, relationship counseling, marital counseling. That, oh, well, just expect that you're going to lose part of yourself, so much of yourself. I don't think that has to be. I just think that the adjustment or the calibration of that may require you to at least step back and see it objectively. In that sense, I am attempting initially to get some sort of collaboration between me, I, as the psychological counselor leading and guiding and directing this endeavor of trying to make the relationship better. Maybe there's a repair element dimension. Maybe it's gotten to the point of even divorce, and this is a last-ditch effort, which makes it much more difficult. But I also represent objectivity. If you can step outside of yourself, or at least we can do some sort of the collaboration with individually, with each of the individuals and myself, then it makes it a bit easier in that as there is then a we, myself and each one of them respectively, I can help each one of them respectively to find points of connection between each other and how to go about that. Though I may not be with them for the remainder of their relationship, no matter how Definite or indefinite, it may turn out to be. But they can do that 
and share a certain element of objectivity or a perspective, a lens of objectivity. And though I'm not there, hopefully they can at least acknowledge, learn that skill set, the mindset, so that when necessary, they can take their eyes and make them wheeze. That's the best way to do it. You never lose the person, but you do have to step outside of the personal long enough to begin to see it in a broader, fuller context, complete, both sides of it, so that you can then reapproach, and hopefully so, have a better notion of how to make that a we, and also your individual role in that. Now, it may be we go to Italian this week, and next week we go to uh, Mexican, and vice versa. Or Friday's Mexican, Wednesday's Italian. And probably people have done that, and there's a certain degree of equity, and it's equitable, and it's fair. But any decision or circumstance, regardless of the day of the week, it should present itself whether it's, once again, food or maybe something as serious as should we buy a house, shouldn't we buy a house, are we going to spend the money on this or that, uh, what if something comes up where we have to, one of us has to go and, and go through some sort of a, a medical procedure and somebody's going to have to take on additional responsibilities and then there's the concerns that naturally go with each other when it comes to situations like that where health is concerned or there's a tragedy or a trauma that the couple has to face. To be able to step back objectively and do that appraisal and assessment, you don't lose the I, you just move into a less subjective element and then see the other person in more objective terms as they're seeing themselves. Again, it's reciprocal. Doesn't really matter who initiates it. Hopefully both will learn well enough the routine of how to do that. That'll be more become more natural. But that's really what marital counseling, relationship counseling is all about, is converting eyes to we's. But every situation then that comes up is going to necessitate the very same pattern. Everybody's going to start with an I. Why? Because that's who you are. It's your identity. Yes, you can be one in a we sense as well, the two of you. And then you can kind of extrapolate that or generalize that to all sorts of others that you might come in contact with, even as a couple. Individuals coming together as a couple, as a couple coming together with other individuals or other couples. But you have a foundation of identity individually and then as a couple that constantly needs to be affirmed and reaffirmed. And it can change and be modified. But when you remove the subjective, you remove the opportunity for there to be too much of the I that then the only result, when there is too much of the I, you wouldn't experience, as with uh, (laughs) immovable objects, 
banging heads against walls, as they used to say, not being able to get past a certain point. Uh, Ambivalence, too. When you become objective, whatever might be the psychological, the subjective piece, the individually psychological subjective piece, that makes you a bit apprehensive. The other person may or may not see it the same way or in combo or dyad, the two of you. They may assume a position of a little bit more extrovert where you're more introvert, more aggressive where you might be a bit more passive on any particular subject or any particular task or any particular challenge. Not each other, but the challenge. But neither of you or both of you remaining, being able to remain, either of you, better word, being able to remain in a passive or passive-aggressive sort of position, it's not likely. And if you come see me, and we do join together as a team, and my eye becomes our we, and the two of you take your eye and come into me so that I am allowing us to all function as a we, the option of staying put or being regressive without some accountability or challenge. It's not numbers against one type of thing when you've got the three, but it helps you transactionally, not only for the sake of clarity, taking in different perspectives, uh, considering all the factors, maybe even accounting for that aspect of When one's more assertive, the others may be a little more passive. Or maybe there is some definite introversion, extroversion component to personality that affects it. But all of us working together, we distribute that with some not only conscious awareness of how it gets distributed... But if it's objective, if we look at it with that level of distance or removal from so much the subjective or the, particularly the emotional elements of defending one's position, then that's going to go naturally with any passion or anything that has passion, has emotion. It comes from confidence or belief in self. And the possibility that people are seeing it like I'm going to lose part of myself. That's why I don't like to frame it that way. No, we're just calibrating. We're adjusting. We're not asking you to give up anything about what makes you great. Maybe there's some things about you that you agree you'd like to get rid of that makes you not so great. That's okay. We can work on that if there's consensus. But nobody's going to kill you or kill parts of you. We're wanting to adjust the relationship so that it functions better. I believe the article captures that in that way of I to we. Maybe not all of the psychodynamics of it or the dynamics that are psychological that kind of go along with it. The uh, basic tenets or theorem of how social relationships and theory uh, work and psychological needs are met and primary needs are met. All those things. That's a very complicated and complex relationship particularly the significant other or the marital relationship. So there's going to be a lot of life, maybe death, sort of uh, intonations that go with that. But we're, we're not asking anybody to do that as much as we're just asking each party to step outside yourself for a moment. And let's take some of that 
fight or flight, life, death, kind of dimension, emotional, reactive thinking. Let's remove it a bit and just see what we've got in practical terms. <laughs> you got two positions. What's the best way to negotiate this? Arbitration. Arbitration has such a negative connotation, I'm not sure I want to use that either. But you could. You could say I'm a bit of the collective bargaining component. Arbitration. But it's better than sacrificing your relationship or each other. And it's better than staying staying in such an I position or posture or perspective that you may miss out on something. Because the other person's perspective and position and posture may be equally good, you just have to figure out some way not to be triggered by it or in some defensive manner. Uh, Narcissism. I statements are not necessarily evidence of narcissism, but narcissism is self-preservation. We've all got some of that. Are we a narcissist? No. Do we have enough to qualify us as uh, diagnosably a narcissistic disorder? Probably not. Anybody could probably go there if threatened enough. But I statements are just good. <laughs> you just have to know what you believe and think. But equally good is, but we have to see it from a we perspective. Take the I and make it a we. And not just once, all the time. Do it as regularly, routinely as possible, even so, maybe day to day, so that you don't get to the point of irreconcilable sort of differences. So you don't get to the point where there's no way to get to that place because everything is so triggering. And usually that's when divorce comes up. That's when calling off the relationship comes up. That's when people walk away. And most people who do walk away with some regrets, uh, if not just for the failure of the relationship. And it's another one of those that, hopefully it's not many, that you thought was going to, but really didn't. That's what my job is, is to help people understand how to navigate that so they don't feel like failures. And so that the the relationship doesn't add so much additional norepinephrine and adrenaline, fight or flight, that it makes you sick, emotionally or physically. Compromises your chemical balances that regulate your emotions and your sense of satisfaction and well-being. So that your sleep, though, even on a a primary immunological system sort of level, primary drive sort of level, you are eating and sleeping and doing all those basic things. Because really... That's what life is all about. You've got to establish the quantity, quantifiably so, the foundation of it so they could ever get to, hopefully get to the refinement and making it as good as it can be in a quality way. That's my job. That's the podcast. That's why I read these articles from Psychology Today. That's why I offer the information as well as the personal experiences that I've had, as well as the encouragement, not only to come back to the podcast, Word with Dave Clay, but if you should need assistance, seek it out. Find a good provider. Psychology Today, again, offers a directory of providers in your area that have all been vetted. Can't speak to myself personally, but they would not be there if they were not on the listing, the directory, Psychology Today directory, if they had not been vetted. 
They're trained. They're licensed. Seek one of them out. Go get some help. So, in the meantime though, I hope all your relationships are you're able to take the I and make it a we and that you can figure out where you want to eat lunch or dinner and not have too much conflict uh, attached to it. I also want to wish you the best in terms of not only behavioral, emotional health, but good physical health. And I want to finally invite you back to the next podcast of Word with Dave Clay. Until then, thanks.